turn to Revelation chapter 7, or page 463 in your Immersed Bible. Once again, I want to encourage you to be reading out of your Immersed Bible, to be bringing it with you. Have a notebook, take notes, mark your Bible. We want to look intently into God's Word. Revelation chapter 7, beginning at the middle of the page, 463 in our Immersed Bibles. After this, I saw a vast crowd, too great to count, from every nation and tribe and people and language, standing in front of the throne and before the Lamb. They were clothed in white robes and held palm branches in their hands. They were shouting with a great roar, Salvation comes from our God who sits on the throne and from the Lamb. And all the angels were standing around the throne and around the elders and the four living beings. And they fell before the throne with their faces to the ground and worshipped God. They sang, Amen, blessing and glory and wisdom and thanksgiving and honor and power and strength belong to our God forever and ever. Amen. Then one of the 24 elders asked me, Who are these who are clothed in white? Where did they come from? And I said to him, Sir, you are the one who knows. Then he said to me, these are the ones who died in the great tribulation. They have washed their robes in the blood of the Lamb and made them white. That is why they stand in front of God's throne and serve Him day and night in His temple. And He who sits on the throne will give them shelter. They will never again be hungry or thirsty. They will never be scorched by the heat of the sun. For the Lamb on the throne will be their shepherd. He will lead them to springs of life-giving water, and God will wipe every tear from their eyes. Then the Lamb broke the seventh seal on the scroll. There was silence throughout heaven for half an hour. Father, we thank you for the privilege of once again openly and freely opening your word today. We pray that you would send your Holy Spirit to give us insight and understanding. We pray that these will not simply be words, but they will be the power of God to transform us. to infuse our understanding with an eternal perspective that results in us living to be part of this scene that we have just read about. We commit this time to you, Holy Spirit. In the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen. We've entitled this study, God's Great Salvation, Our Ultimate Destiny. John tells us that after this, he saw a vast crowd. This crowd was too great. 
for him to count. He subsequently tells us that one of the 24 elders asked him, Who are these who are clothed in white? Where did they come from? Then he said to me, These are the ones who died in the great tribulation. We looked at the issue of interpretation last week when we came to the 144,000 at the beginning of this chapter. There is a wide scope of differences in interpretation. When it comes to this great multitude, we find that there are again notable differences regarding their identity regarding where they came from. Some people who look at the Bible from a dispensational aspect identify this great multitude with a period of seven years of judgment, a period that Daniel talks about that is revealed to him. For example, we read in Daniel chapter 9, and then in chapter 12, the end will come with a flood, and war and its miseries are decreed from that time to the very end. Then there will be a time of anguish greater than any since nations first came into existence. There are others who define this word tribulation as the entire period of gospel witness from Pentecost to the second coming of Christ at the end of human history. There are a couple of reasons for that. One is that Jesus said, Here on earth you will have many trials and sorrows or tribulations, but take heart, I have overcome the world. In Daniel chapter 12 and verse 7, when the shattering of the holy people has finally come to an end, all these things will have happened. When we come to interpreting these, people identify in one of several different ways. Do you believe in a pre-tribulational return of Jesus Christ? That he is coming back for the church before the seven years of tribulation. With other scriptures, you might find yourself believing that Jesus is going to return in the middle of the tribulation before the Antichrist breaks covenant with Israel and defiles their worship. Or you might be post-tribulational, believing that he's coming at the end. You may be premillennial believing in the return of Jesus Christ before the millennium. You may be amillennial, believing that the kingdom of Jesus Christ through the gospel is going to usher in the end time and the establishment of the reign of Christ here on earth. There's a lot of differences, aren't there? Do you know what you believe? Regardless of one's eschatological paradigm. The word eschatology means the study of future things. 
It is looking at the timing and the order of biblical prophecy, regardless of what your eschatological paradigm might be, pre-trib, post-trib, premillennial, amillennial. There are critical truths whenever you and I open the Word of God that we need to apply to our lives. Remember one of our key verses from last week, 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 16 and 17. All Scripture is God-breathed and is profitable for teaching, rebuking, instructing, and training in righteousness so that the man of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. Are you thoroughly equipped or are you under-equipped? This is why we need to study passages such as this. John tells us that after this, after seeing four angels that were at the four corners of the earth, north, south, east, and west, restraining the wind, and one great angel having the seal of God, sealing 144,000 Jews from all the tribes. John said, after this, I saw a vast crowd, too great to count from every nation and tribe and people and language. They were clothed in white robes and held palm branches in their hands. And they were shouting with a great roar, Salvation comes from our God, who sits on the throne and from the Lamb. I believe that John was absolutely floored when he saw this sight. I believe that he was astounded, left speechless. The subsequent conversation that he has with the elder, when the elder said to him, who are these and where do they come from? All that John can say is, sir, you know the answer. Here are people from tribes and languages, ethnicity, that John could never have imagined existed on the face of the earth. People from throughout history, people from so many backgrounds. What John is seeing is the ultimate outcome of the magnitude of God's love for the world. God so loved the world. People from every tribe and language, ethnicity and nation that he gave his one and only son. What John is seeing is the outcome of the atoning work of Jesus Christ. His sacrificial death. It's the heart of God being revealed. He prophesied over and over again throughout the prophets, especially Isaiah, that he was the Savior of all the earth. Revelation presents to us the truth that Jesus is the Lamb that was slain before the creation of the world. In Isaiah 49 and verse 6, the Lord says... This is a messianic passage. He is speaking to the Messiah. 
his son. The Lord says, you will do more than restore the people of Israel to me. I will make you a light to the Gentiles, and you will bring my salvation to the ends of the earth. John is seeing the fulfillment of this verse. Many others like them. Imagine. John saw people from every one of India's 2,500 people groups and 465 languages. Including 95% of them who have never yet heard. He saw people from every one of Indonesia the fourth most populated nation in the world, the largest Islamic nation. But he saw people from every one of Indonesia's 722 languages. What does that mean? That means that a lot of people were praying the Lord of the harvest to send workers into the harvest field. I've asked you numerous times, did you pray that prayer this week? This is the heart of God. We used the term when we looked at chapter 5, and we studied the worship that was given to Jesus because He is the Lamb who purchased people from every tribe every language, every nation. The purchasing power of the Lamb. The praise and worth that is attributed to the purchasing power of the Lamb's sacrifice will, at the end of time, result in countless numbers of people coming to know Christ from everywhere on earth, every ethnicity, every tribe, every language. That should be deeply encouraging and motivating to anyone who possesses the heart of God. It means that there is no place in the world, there is no culture that is hopeless, impenetrable. It means that no matter how evil, how dark it might be, no matter how hostile the environment, the gospel is the power of God for the salvation of those who believe. Friday evening we prayed for Tehran. All the Protestant churches in Tehran have been closed by the government because of Muslims coming to faith in Jesus Christ. And yet, with all of those churches closed, with it being against the law to proselytize and convert, to possess or publish any Christian literature, the fastest growing church in the world is in Tehran. It means that people have the heart of God and they believe in the power of the gospel 
and they believe that it is the will of God that everyone should hear, and they are willing to identify fully and completely with the Lord Jesus Christ who laid down his life so that you would know his Father today. If you and I possess the heart of God, if the love of God for the world is in our hearts, then you and I will have a passionate desire to be part of the fulfillment of what we have just read. God, use me. I truly want to be your witness, even to the ends of the earth, because I want to see your heart fulfilled. John tells us that all the angels were standing around the throne and around the elders and the four living creatures. And they fell before the throne of God on their faces. And they worshiped God. They sang, Amen. Blessing and glory and wisdom and thanksgiving and honor and power and strength belong to our God forever and ever. Amen. Take note of what is happening. The praise of this vast multitude causes the angels to spontaneously fall before God, overwhelmed in worship for what they see, and burst forth in this sevenfold acclamation of praise and honor and glory to the Lord that is framed by a double amen. Now, why is that significant? One reason is because Jesus, throughout his time of teaching, would often say, amen, amen. And then he would make a statement. In your Bible, it might be translated, Verily, verily, I tell you the truth. But in its original, it is amen. The word amen means, so be it. Jesus himself identified himself to the church, or churches, as the amen. I am the final word of God. And so here, the angels are saying, Amen, so be it. Praise and glory and honor to the Lord. We have looked at the number seven. It means what? Complete. Comprehensive. It is a number that represents perfection. God is worthy of complete praise, comprehensive praise. These supernatural inhabitants of heaven cannot contain their emotions at the sight of so many people redeemed by the saving work of Jesus Christ. The praise of the vast multitude causes all the angels to respond in this way. 
When was the last time you were affected in this way? When was the last time that you were so astounded at a missions report that you read or that we shared on Mission Sunday that you were overwhelmed with emotion and praise to God? When was the last time that you praised God in such a way that the angels in heaven responded, Amen, Amen, and considered your praise to be so complete, body, soul, and spirit, so complete in honoring God, that they could affirm it and say, Amen. That is the way God should be praised. At the end of chapter 6, we found a question. The breaking of the sixth seal had resulted in people crying out to the mountains to cover them and hide them from the face of him who sits on the throne, and from the Lamb. For the first time, they recognize that they are under judgment. And they ask a question, who can stand in the face of the wrath of the one who sits on the throne and the Lamb? We have an answer. One of the elders said to me, who are these who are clothed in white? Where do they come from? And I said to him, Sir, you know. Then he said to me, These are the ones who died in the great tribulation. They have washed their robes in the blood of the Lamb and have made them white. Now before we look at anything further, understand something that is taking place here that we also see taking place in Daniel chapter 12, which correlates with Revelation. From heaven's perspective, you and I should be sitting here today with a compelling desire to know and understand Scripture. Remember Philip, as he was translated by the Spirit of God down to a road in Gaza. And as he waited by the side of the road, here came an Ethiopian eunuch. He had been to Jerusalem to worship. He was returning back to his queen. And he was reading the scroll of Isaiah. And Philip asked him, Do you understand what you are reading? In Daniel chapter 12, Daniel sees heavenly beings who ask the same question. What is happening? How long will this be? Daniel is asked another question, and Daniel says, what is going to be the outcome? How long is it going to be? When was the last time you asked God questions as you opened His Word? Heaven is wondering. Are you and I interested enough in God's Word and God's plans that we are asking Him? Will you give us insight? Will you show us what is taking place? Remember that Jesus 
has given us this book of Revelation so that we may know what is about to happen. The answer to the question of who can stand. The only way that one can stand before the one who sits on the throne and the Lamb is through the gospel and trusting in the atoning work of Jesus Christ. We sang about it today. When he shall come with trumpet sound, oh, may I then in him be found, dressed in his righteousness alone and faultless to stand before the throne. There is no safety, there is no protection, there is no covering that will ensure anyone from the wrath and the judgment that is coming upon this sinful culture except for the work of Jesus Christ. The elder continues in his response to John, that is why they stand in front of God's throne and serve him day and night in the temple. And he who sits on the throne will give them shelter. They will never again be hungry or thirsty. They will never be scorched by the heat of the sun. For the lamb on the throne will be their shepherd. He will lead them to springs of life-giving water. And God will wipe every tear from their eyes. Oh, this is one of the most wonderful passages in Scripture. The ultimate destiny of the redeemed is the presence of God. The ultimate destiny of the redeemed is the presence of God. Friends, that is true whether we are sitting here today or whether we are talking about eternity in heaven. The ultimate destiny of those who are redeemed is the presence of God. The writer to Hebrews tells us of the work of Jesus Christ and then exhorts us in Hebrews chapter 4, let us come boldly before the throne of grace. Hebrews chapter 10, Jesus offered one sacrifice for all sins, once and for all. Therefore, let us come, entering the most holy place by the work of Jesus Christ, who opened a new and living way. Do you long to be in the presence of God? Do you long to experience the presence of God? It is the ultimate place. The elder told John that the lamb will be their shepherd. Oh, I can't begin to list for you, and we don't have time to read the number of Old Testament passages that are fulfilled by these few verses. They are in the dozens. If you would like to read them for yourselves, send me a text or an email and I'll send you a list. Oh, the plans that God has for us, the Bible says, are beyond anything that we can imagine. 
We prayed earlier this morning, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Look around at you and I sitting here this morning. See one another. From Acts chapter 1 until eternity, it has always been God's design that the redeemed gather together in worship. That they seek the Lord's presence together. What a compelling case for you and I to be with the body of Christ. More than half of the people who were attending church at the beginning of the pandemic are not returning. A year ago, it was half of the half, about 27%. Now it's up to just under 50%. Why? Easier for me to stay home, except that it's not biblical. It is God's design that His people be together, seeking His presence. The redeemed in their ultimate, eternal, and free estate serve God. What does that mean? It means that serving God is the ultimate freedom and joy and fulfillment that you and I can experience while we are here on earth. If it's true of eternity, it's true of now. To live a life of worship and service to the Lord. Oh, it is priceless. Think for a moment of a woman named Anna. She was married for less than 10 years and her husband died. She spent the rest of her life in the temple, fasting and praying and receiving divine revelation, and she is immortalized in the pages of Scripture. In the pages of the Word of God, your name won't be there, my name won't be there, but her name is there. Heaven and earth will pass away, but the fact that she sought the Lord day and night and testified to the coming of the Messiah when the parents of Jesus entered the temple, it will be known forever and ever. The ultimate worth and destiny is to live a life of worship and service to the Lord in every aspect. It is practice for what you and I are going to be doing throughout eternity. It's the ultimate value of our lives today. The psalmist wrote, you will show me the way of life, granting me the joy of your presence and the pleasures of living with you forever. In the presence of the Lord is fullness of joy. You might enjoy doing a lot of things, and they might bring you pleasure, but there is nothing that is better than being in the presence of God. Think for a moment if it is your destiny to spend eternity outside of the presence of God. A couple of final thoughts for you and me. 
if this is what you and I are promised for eternity, if this is the hope and the life that awaits us, if we truly believe it and always have it before our eyes, this will give us strength to endure hardships on earth. Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, for the joy set before him endured the cross. The Apostle Paul, I count my life worth nothing, and I gladly enter the fellowship of his sufferings because my eye is on the prize. My citizenship is in heaven. Moses rejected all of the benefits of being a son of Pharaoh and enjoying the pleasures of sin for a season, choosing rather to suffer with the people of God because the scripture says, he looked ahead and saw his reward and saw him who is invisible. When is the last time that you could say, I've seen him who is invisible, and this opportunity right now counts nothing to me because it would minimize me serving Christ with all my heart. I'll take something that is less or second best so that I can give myself more freely. I've seen him who is invisible and the reward that he has. Secondly, the God who deserves and demands worship. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind, all your strength, is also the God of ultimate love and compassion. And that makes him infinitely worthy to be worshiped, served, adored. And finally, the things that characterized these believers that we see in this vast multitude need to characterize every one of us. Make sure that they are true of you. That there is evidence of a life made righteous through the work of Jesus Christ. That it is your priority to seek the presence of God to be in close proximity and relationship with Him. That you truly have a spirit of worship and that you have an understanding of the privilege and the high calling that has been given to you and me that we might serve Him and fulfill His purposes on earth. Let's pray together. Father, I thank you for your word today. I thank you for its relevance to us. We need to hear and know and understand every word that we have read today. Every insight, every explanation. Holy Spirit, I pray that you would, would enable us to truly comprehend Oh, Lord God, 
Will we be ready when you come? We'll be dabbling in the things of this world and dirtying our garments with the values, the activities, the pleasures of this culture? Or will you find us living as your set-apart people, remembering that the Lord knows those who are His? Will our lamps be filled with oil? Will our witness be bright, clear, strong, Will we be at the door watching for the return of our master, even in the most unexpected time? Or will we be preoccupied? Father, we pray that your word will speak to our hearts. We pray that it will stir us. Father, we pray that we will not be like the people in the day of your son can read a weather report, but we can't read the signs of what you are prophetically doing and what is coming. Give us insight through your Holy Spirit. Give us a passion to be your partners, worthy partners, that the gospel reach everyone and that it reaches people through us. Father, may our hearts love you, love you, long for your presence, crave you and you alone. May you find us always seeking your face. Holy Spirit, I pray that you will do this. My words will not. My exhortations will not. But Holy Spirit, I pray that your words will accomplish this work in our hearts. Give us ears to hear what you, Holy Spirit, are saying to us. In the name of Jesus, I pray. Amen. Amen.